You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. So anyone who has listened to this show for any length of time or followed me during my bicycling years knows that over the years, I have had a rocky relationship with eating and disordered eating. And in my younger years, outright eating disorders. And over the years, I have worked diligently on improving my relationship with food. But it's not been easy. And for lots of years, there were still forbidden foods that I would not allow in the house because I have worked from home for decades and I just didn't trust myself with them. Well, the reason I couldn't trust myself with those foods in the house was because I was so strenuously restricting myself that I was bound to go off the rails and dig my way through a tub of Nutella at some point or another. Only, of course, to scold myself and start the cycle all over again. At some point, I reached a point where I said, enough. I have been an athlete all my life. I've been writing about nutrition and training forever. I knew what my body needed. I needed to trust that. And I did. And I discovered that when I ate, when I was hungry, and really truly fed myself, instead of wondering how little food I could get away with, I stopped going off the rails. I stopped obsessing about food. Hell, I barely think about food these days, and when I do, it's all positive. I can have a wall full of Nutella and walk right by it because I can have it when I want it. But my head doesn't really need it. It's happy. My moods improved, my sleep improved, my performance and recovery improved, my life improved. And that's the power of intuitive eating. And that's why I wanted to have on this week's guest, Pam Moore, who along with being a certified personal trainer, six-time marathoner, and two-time Ironman finisher, is a certified intuitive eating counselor. Pam isn't just schooled and has training in intuitive eating, she has had her own rocky journey to become an intuitive eater herself, which she shares during this discussion. We also go into all of the other things that go into our relationship with food, like body image, diet culture, and how we never feel like we're quite enough. I'll say up front that I know that there are audience members out there who count macros and track food, and that is a system and it works for you. And if it makes you happy and it is working for you and that's what you want to do, I am not here to tell you to stop. I never want people to stop doing what makes them happy and is working for them. If you are not happy tracking and counting or feeling like you need to track and count or follow a specific diet or set of food rules and you're looking for another way, but maybe you're afraid not to count a track, This conversation is designed to shine some light on the fact that there is another way and that as a grown woman, you can have agency in listening to your body and feeding yourself what you need and that there's real freedom and joy that can follow. I will also note that I recognize that it can be tricky to balance this conversation with the concurrent conversation that active menopausal women need to be, quote unquote, getting enough protein and getting enough fiber And that sometimes we do need to do a check-in to make sure we're giving our working bodies what they need. 
But when you get really comfortable with intuitive eating, that all becomes easier too. And you start feeding yourself what you need without a whole lot of stress or machinations. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. Okay, before we get to it, as I have been mentioning, we have a new course that is available right now. It's called Navigate Menopause, and it's an eight-week course designed to walk you through everything you need to know from mindset to symptoms to nutrition to training and help you put together a plan of action to feel and perform your best. I have been working on it for months, and it's really a culmination of three years of researching and interviewing and listening to you and your needs. And you really get so much in this. I, there's more than two dozen experts that I've interviewed. You have training programs, nutrition suggestions. It's I'm just really proud of this one. I've worked really hard on it. So head on over to navigateyourmenopause.com. Check it out. Space is limited for this first cohort, so we expect it to fill up. Go over there at navigateyourmenopause.com now and check it out. Thanks so much. I'll see you on the course. And of course, speaking of courses, enough of me. Let's have a few words about our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are stoked to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's has unlocked the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research and creates better shoes for women's performance. Some of Hedda's special features include a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing on women's ankle bones, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and accommodate female toe shape, a more narrow and reductive heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take pressure off the Achilles, a rounded instep that creates a snug fit through the middle to match the curvature of a woman's foot and supercritical foam and a PBEX plate in the midsole to keep our legs going when the going gets tough. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for your long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've been running in the Alma Tempos and they are a pleasure to train in. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20, that's all caps, FEISTY20, for 20% off. Check it out today. We'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Musculoskeletal health is everything during menopause. Everyone knows how much I love Joint Health Plus from Prevenex, which has helped me get back to distance running after arthritic toes stopped me in my tracks. Now they have a product that has become my go-to for muscle strength and recovery, Muscle Health Plus. Muscle Health Plus contains all the key ingredients we talk about on this show, like creatine monohydrate, essential amino acids, and branched-chain amino acids, Plus, even more cutting-edge ingredients like HMB and estrogen that are scientifically shown to increase muscle growth, recovery, and strength. I use it every day during my early morning lifting sessions, and there's no question that it helps my power during those workouts and my recovery after. Plus, I love having everything I need from the best high-quality ingredients in one reasonably priced shake. I've also heard from fellow users who have had bloating or GI upset in the past from creatine that haven't had any of that with Muscle Health Plus. I make my shake with almond milk and espresso, but it's also good with ice cold water, which makes the flavor really pop. 
As always, you can get 15% off your first order with the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. That's HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. Do your muscles a favor and head on over and get some today. All right, Pam. Well, this was a long time coming, but I'm really glad to have you on the show. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks, Celine. So I am especially glad to have you on because I have done maybe two different shows where intuitive eating was kind of a strong focus, but I haven't ever pulled it through the lens of people who are athletic. And I think that's obviously really important because that's a lot of my audience for sure, but also because I do feel like being very active or athletic brings other layers to the intuitive eating conversation that are very worth talking about, you know? So I'm stoked that you're here. I just want to set the stage a little bit for people that, you know, you are, I know you're a certified personal trainer, six-time marathoner, maybe more at this time point, two-time Ironman finisher, have a, I've been on your show, you have a podcast, Real Fit, but I heard and read that you didn't find athletics until you were an adult. So how did you go about finding your athletic self? Yeah, great question. Um, Let's see. I started running sort of by happenstance in high school because I was, this makes no sense because like you said, I was not athletic growing up, but I did lacrosse in high school. I think because my friends were like, you should do it. And I was flattered. I was like, oh, they want me to do something with them. Okay. <laughs> you know, just typical like 14 year old stuff. So lacrosse was a total disaster, but the running really spoke to me because it was like, you know, I think like most people, you maybe, maybe not your listeners, if they were you know, if they grew up with sports, but I was someone who it killed me to run around the block. It killed me a little bit more to run around the block twice. And then you get over that hump and you're like, oh my God, I can run a whole mile. I could run two miles without even having to breathe through my mouth. This is insane. And so that kind of built on itself. And I, so I became a runner gradually in high school, ran my first marathon at 21. And um, from there, I guess, it's like a little bit addictive. You know, you run one and you're like, oh, can I do another one? Ooh, could I do it faster? Ooh, now I'm injured because runners get injured. Now what? And that's what led me to triathlon. Oh, that makes sense. That's a very natural progression of things. Yeah. And and we'll go straight into it. Like how how was your relationship with with food and how was your relationship um with eating as as you be- as you became as you discovered this inner athlete yeah it until i found intuitive eating it fluctuated but i would say overall if you were going to look at it like on a graph it got more fucked up over time can i say fucked up on the oh, podcast yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes you can why you say it again <laughs> got more fucked up as the years went by so as a child i don't remember having any issues with food or my body oh wait i take that back i always thought that i had a pot belly I don't know if it's true because this was like the 80s and your parents weren't taking a picture of you 20 times a day doing absolutely nothing, you know? So I might have like one photo of me in a bathing suit. Uh, But I remember being in the fifth grade and the cool girl in school said to me, no offense, but, and it's never good when it starts with no offense, (laughs) no offense, but you, you kind of have a pot belly. And I was like, I I know. I try to be chill. I was like, I know. You know. <laughs> I, do. Oy. 
the stuff that sticks and you know like this random shit that sticks <laughs> totally totally and you know growing up i honestly think that my dad was the worst like perpetrator of diet culture way more than my mother my dad has strong opinions on how bodies should be women's bodies in particular mine too yeah i mean my dad i love my dad he's a loving person mm-hmm. he means well but i he told me recently in the last 5 years he said you know, um, some women, you know, they have kids and their figures just sort of fall apart. But like you and your sister, like you look good. And that was supposed to, and it, I, I know he meant it as a compliment, but it, to me, it like clicked everything into focus was like, oh, this was on top of society and on top of everything. And that kid on the playground, it's like, yeah, this was my lens was, this is one of the most important things a woman can be or do in the world is look nice or look nice to you. Boy, we could hijack the show in a whole other way because <laughs> I grew up my also my father, who was a bodybuilder, but also would hang uh, pictures of women working out on the fridge with like and he would cut out the words like tight toned stomach and put it over. Yeah, no shit. Right. So um, subtle, subtle, subtle. He's so, <laughs> there is no subtlety. <laughs> anyway, we have a good relationship and I you know whatever i don't want to go yeah. down that that road right now but um yeah those messages can be early and and deep yeah they're there they're there i remember scrutinizing my body from a very young age looking for boobs which uh never came like i'm just very flat chested <laughs> but i was searching i was always looking for something so first it was like the boobs then later it was like okay this is how it's going to be you've gone through puberty now like the stomach i was always like obsessed with the stomach and it i think got really bad in I don't remember I just remember like losing a little bit of weight in high school because of a combination of being nervous about liking this boy like we were about to go on a date or something I was so excited and also I started a new job um was had working part-time at Ben and Jerry's and it was just like very fast-paced and busy so I might have lost a few pounds in a short period of time and I loved that feeling of like my clothes being a little bit looser and just feeling I felt better and I was always searching for that. And I remember the number on the scale. I was searching for that number. And then I went to college and my habits were terrible. You know, a lot of beer, a lot of late night eating, and a lot of really black and white thinking of like, oh, I ate the soft serve at the dining hall at lunch. The day is screwed. I might as well eat everything, eat all the things. It was very, and then, you know, the next day I'd wake up, be like, well, I'm going to be good today, which usually meant like starving in some fashion only to do it again, because obviously you get hungry and you overdo it because you were starving. And I never put it together. I never understood like you are overdoing it because you were starving. If you would just stop restricting, things could normalize. It took me a long time to figure that out. Like, really long time, years, decades. Um, and then fast forward. So I was always kind of like had this, I, I never had, I don't think like what you would diagnose as an eating disorder, but it was definitely disordered eating. And I think mostly a lot of what my friends were probably doing too, you know, intermittent fasting or limiting carbs or all these things that are considered quote unquote healthy, but really for me took way too much of my mental energy and it really got bad after, I mean, it got bad at all different points in my life. But one of the worst times was after my second child was born, I had a really hard time losing the baby weight. And of course, you know, we have this narrative that you've got to snap back and that looking back on it, I'm like, my God, I was so stressed. I don't know if there's anything I could have done to lose that weight 
faster or differently than I did because there was so much going on. Like she was a terrible sleeper. She had many, many food allergies that was stressful in and of itself. And during the time that I was breastfeeding, I had to avoid all those foods. And I definitely think being on any type of elimination diet, even if it's for a reason like, oh, I'm breastfeeding, it still can make you crazy with the food. And yeah, the not sleeping. I had Bell's palsy right after she was born, which is when half of your face gets paralyzed for listeners who may not know. And it that was ridiculously stressful because most people, it will heal on its own pretty quick. Mine didn't. It got almost totally better within six months, but then I got a cold or something and it it relapsed and it never healed right. And so that was a huge source of, I mean, we could do a whole episode on that. Um, it was a terrible time in my life. And and I, and, and I was obsessing with the friggin' my, my fitness pal. And I would love to go back to my old self with like a toddler and a noom word and just give myself a hug and be like, can you not worry about whether you fit into your old jeans right now? Like that can wait. You need to chill the fuck out, Pam. But I was, I think it was something that I felt like I could control. And so it was easy to get hung up on that because I couldn't control, you know, the face, my kid, the sleep, all the other things. So I, and then at some point I got into CrossFit after she was, maybe she was three or four. And um, how old are you at this point? Now, at this time, I must have been in my late 30s. Okay. Let me think. I think I started CrossFit around 2017. I really was only into it for like under two years, but then I started following all these like CrossFit accounts online and I think CrossFit was amazing. It's the reason why I feel really comfortable with a barbell. I've gotten into heavy weightlifting. It was fun. You know, it's new at first coming from an endurance background. I was like, oh my God, a rope climb, a pull up. I can do this stuff. This is amazing. But I got obsessed with how I thought I was supposed to look. And all this time, I'd also thought, oh, I don't look like your typical triathlete. I don't look like, I'm not skinny enough. I should be always wanting to be leaner, always kind of pretending that it was about sports, but also it was about just like vanity. And so I started counting macros and that was like my, what I call my peak crazy. It was totally taking over my life. It was totally unsustainable. My kids were asking me, what was I doing? And I was lying to them. What did it look like? For me, it looked like sometimes entering all the food I plan to eat for the day in a spreadsheet so that my macros could add up. I remember like one time in particular, I remember being up early doing the spreadsheet because we have a family tradition of going out for Dairy Queen um, on the last day of school. And I was excited because I was like, oh, Dairy Queen's easy because it's a chain and I can know all the nutrition facts online. So I'm looking up, I'm making plans for what I'm going to order in the evening at six in the morning and then planning the rest of my food so that I can enjoy, I enjoy in air quotes, enjoy this ice cream with my family more than 12 hours later. That's batshit crazy. You know, and I was in this macro counting Facebook group for all the people that were using the app that I was using. And everyone in there was crazy. Everyone was like, I'm going on vacation. What do I do? Or, okay, you know what you do? You you bring your food to the potluck or whatever. And I'm like, oh my, and and it was normalizing it because everyone was doing it. And I was like, okay, okay, this is normal. Like, but it was bad because I was, you know, I do the best I could counting, tracking, weighing, measuring during the week. But then the weekend comes and A, I've like lost willpower and be, uh, which actually I realize now it wasn't really a willpower issue. It's just your body wanting to be a body and do what bodies do. So it would be less like rubber band effect. The more I would restrict, the more I would want to overdo later. And uh, it was it was bad. I'm trying to think what else to tell you. Yeah, it was just it was bad and it was stressful and it was taking up way too much mental energy. 
and I, I didn't do it for a full year. It was almost a year when I was like, this has to stop. I'm going to ask what might seem like a provocative question, but I think it's important. Did it, did it work? That's a great question. Did it work? Okay. Yeah. What is your definition of working? Did I get leaner? I think I did because I took measurements. They want you to take like progress photos and stick them in the app and take your measurements. And then they give you this graph of your body. And that's another thing where I'm just like, oh my God, the graph of the, it was almost like, you know, you're looking at like your training peaks or something like that. Um, I'm not a science experiment, you know, I'm not a math equation, but in my head, that made perfect sense that, that I was and that I was this project to always be improved upon. So yes, my measurements changed and um, I didn't have a lot of weight to lose. I'm a small, I'm an objectively small petite person. Um, I didn't look, you know, jacked, which I wanted to, which I thought, oh, if only I could try hard enough, I would. And I now know that, yeah, I guess try hard. What is trying hard enough? I think I would have had to- there's degrees of trying hard enough. And I guess right now I'm at a point where I'm like, for me, trying enough is like eating my fruits and vegetables, trying to get some protein at every meal and snack, trying not to stress about it if I don't, thinking about what foods are going to serve me, not just in this moment, but like tomorrow or in an hour or whatever. We can talk about that more because that kind of pertains to the performance piece. But um yeah, so your did, kids so I, knew you were doing this? Like you did. saw the thing. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, this is for my health. This is just because mom wants to be healthy. <laughs> I was more crazy than I'd ever been. There's it's not healthy. It's just not healthy. Oh, and in terms of my lab work, I don't rec- I've always had high cholesterol because that runs in my family. I'm trying to recall if my labs changed significantly. I think my labs were always pretty good. Cause even though I have high um LDL is the bad one, right? I have higher LDL. My HDL has always also been pretty high and that's protective. So that I don't recall that having changed too much. Yeah. But did my so weight I, change? Maybe by a few pounds. Yeah. Was I leaner? A little. So at what point are you, um, at what point does it start to sink in that this is untenable, that this is not the way that you want to It was almost all at once. There was like a few like terrible experiences that sort of added up. Like there was this one, I remember one of the last family vacations I went on. It was during the summer before I quit macros, which was maybe four months later. Like I spent the first three days of the trip trying to be quote unquote good. And then the last four days of the trip being out of control. And I got home just feeling awful. And we had a party to go to that night. And I was like, what can I even wear that will fit? Like I was so bloated. I had to base my outfit on like what didn't have a waistband. And um, I kind of recall eating like, again, way too much at that party and just thinking like, oh, tomorrow I'll be, I'll be good again. That was a little bit insane, that trip. I remember that. And then it was almost all at once though. I remember standing in front of the computer, looking at the web chat thingy on this app I was using and asking it, what should I eat? I'm really hungry and I'm in phase, whatever, don't know what to do. And I'm waiting for it to respond. And it just hit me like, why am I waiting for this chat bot to tell me what to do? I am at that point, I was almost 40. It was like a week from my birthday. I was like, you are almost a 40 year old woman asking a computer to tell you what to eat. And it was like, almost like this other voice was like, Pam, you know what to eat. You know, you, this thing doesn't know you. And I just thought, I'm going to let this go for a while, at least a week. I'm not going to count anything. And I never, ever counted anything again. That was it. What did that actually look like in application? And did you know you were intuitive eating? 
Uh, that's a good question. I do. I don't know if I was intuitive eating. I know that I had a book and I don't know when I got it, if I got it before that moment or after that moment, but I do know for sure I was reading it on a trip. So I went on a trip. It was to celebrate my 40th. My husband and I went to Austin for the weekend, left our kids with grandparents. It was super fun. And I was like, okay, this is going to be my first trip where I'm not in this mentality of I am on a trip. And when I get back, I'll be good. And I had to kind of like have this self-talk that was like, Pam, you're going to eat what you want to eat and you're going to eat until you're about full and then you're going to stop. It's going to be simple. Like you can do this. I kind of had to psych myself up and tell me myself that. So I did that. And I was reading this book by, um, what is his name? It's this guy from the Psychology of Eating Institute. I can't recall it, like Mark David or something like that. I was reading that book on the trip. I recall that. I might have started reading the intuitive eating book sometime later that year. I'm trying to remember. And I was into this, this friend of mine was what she called herself a spiritual intuitive eating coach, I think. And I was listening to this meditation that she, it was like her free download when you subscribe. And I was listening to that and loving that. And it was all about how like, this isn't a problem that like your weight isn't the problem. The problem is how you feel about it. The problem is like the brainwashing. The problem is that you're living under like you're prioritizing the the male gaze or like the gaze uh, on your body rather than feeling in your body. And I don't think those that was the language that she used, but that was sort of my takeaway. And I realized, oh shit, like I'm thinking about this all wrong. Like she's right. The way I feel in my body doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the number on the scale or the way my clothes fit. Like your clothes fit bad. Yeah, that does feel bad. Change the clothes, um, you know, wear something else. Anyway, um, I don't remember exactly when I was like, oh, this is intuitive eating because I had heard of intuitive eating and thought that's not for me. I would A, go off the rails. I could never do that. And B, that's for people with eating disorders that need serious help. I don't have an eating disorder. Like I might have some weird habits, but I don't have an eating disorder. And I think that's where I'm kind of different than a lot of people that talk about this stuff because I think people don't see themselves in the person who was like hospitalized for an eating disorder or in day treatment for an eating disorder or something like that. And you don't realize how taxing it is and how time consuming and how much it sucks up your energy to be obsessed with food, even if you don't have a diagnosis. Yes. And that, I think that is the thing that really, really misses people that if it, if it could just hit them and sink in would change their lives. Because I spent, a, I did have an eating disorder when I was in college. And then I had lots of disordered eating, you know, as an athlete for the better part of a decade or more, right? Like managing it, not managing it, but definitely like always being very on top of what I was eating and concerned with what I was eating. And like you sort of thinking like, shit, it's Thanksgiving. I hate this holiday. Like, like literally hated yes, that holiday, yes. right? You know, because oh, it's all about food and I have to think about food and it's really stressful. Yeah. And there would be things that I work at home. So I'd be like, there can be no Nutella in this house because I will just take a spoon and I will just make, you know, I will eat it at three o'clock in the afternoon and all of this stuff that, that it's hard to believe that like once I actually stopped obsessing and restricting and all of that, it all went away. Yes. I can have Nutella in the house 
I am looking forward to Thanksgiving. My weight is now stable instead of going up and down and all the things. My performance is now like all of it. I don't have two glasses of wine and eat a whole bag of something. You know, like that was me. (laughs) So many people do like like, going sailing off the rails. Like you don't need like the rails or they just disappear. There are no rails. Like you're just like there are no rails. And it and it yeah. And to answer your question you asked before that I kind of got off the topic, what did it look like at first? First, there was that magical trip to Austin. And I remember just eating such good food. I took care to like get in touch with our Airbnb host in advance. And I was like, what restaurants do you recommend? We ate at some incredible places. And I remember going to this like um, Japanese place. And after my husband was like, I'm still hungry. Let's get pizza. And I had a bite of his pizza because I wanted to taste it, but I did not feel the need to get my own slice of pizza just because we were not Austin. And maybe I would never eat this specific pizza again. And like the next day he wanted ice cream and I was like, I'll have a taste, but I'm not in the mood right now. So I didn't have any. And, um, that was not something I would have done in the past. I would have been like, well, I'm here and it's Sunday and we're flying out tonight. I'm getting the damn ice cream. I was just like, you know what? I live in Boulder, Colorado, which is a very foodie town. I can get some really good ice cream a mile from my house tomorrow if I want it. And um, I remember being in the airport and seeing this cookie and thinking if I was in quote unquote vacation mode, I would be eating this thing even though I'm not hungry and even though I wasn't really craving a cookie before I saw it. And I thought it looks good, but like I bet I could get another cookie if I'm still thinking about a cookie tomorrow. And I just didn't care. Like you said, it was almost – and then I started like experimenting with foods that I would not let myself have in the past. One at a time, I would just eat it with full permission. Not like, oh, I already ran 10 miles so I can have this. It was just like, I'm going to eat a grilled cheese. That had been something I would have only eaten when I was pregnant. And when I tried to make it when I wasn't pregnant, it never tasted good because I wouldn't use enough butter. So I ate a real grilled cheese. And I like really tasted it. And it was funny because I was like, this is really good, but it's not what I thought it was. It's not like I need to eat a bunch more or I don't need to eat it again at dinner. It's like I ate it. It was filling. It was maybe too filling. It sits kind of heavy. That's good. And then I moved on. I was like, now what? Okay, a scone. A scone would be something that I would never let myself eat. So I just went to a coffee shop and I had a cup of coffee and a scone. And I ate like half of it because I was like, you know, it's actually kind of more dry than I would like. I don't need to keep eating this. This is fine. And I put half in the bag and I thought maybe I'll eat it later. And I I don't even know if I did. I might have composted it. But it was like one one quote unquote scary food at a time, just trying it and seeing what happens. And like like wheat thins was something I would never have in the house before. And I cannot tell you that I don't care about wheat thins. I do care deeply about wheat thins. I love them. But I'm not gonna, I'm not worried about eating a whole box. Like I'll have a handful with my soup or lunch or whatever it is. And then I can like move on. I'm not obsessed with them. I do still love them, but yeah. And that's good. That's healthy. And that's the same thing. You know, on the flip side of that, like there would be lots of times that I wouldn't, I wouldn't get ice cream when I wanted ice cream, right? Mm-hmm. Or I wouldn't like have pasta, you know, when everyone's out having a pasta dinner, I'm like, mm. <laughs> you know, but like now it's like, okay, you know, I'm it's, it's just, it's so uh, freeing. And yes. the, the real, to your point, like all that mental space is, I feel like, wow, how many years did I spend trapped in that? Like, like in my life trapped about what is the, and it's such a you know first world problem is is an a real thing it is it's i'm sympathetic to people because we are in this this world that wants to feed us everything under the sun and also wants us to be super skinny and also wants us to be this and like makes us funnels us into this obsession right like we are societally funneled into this obsession 
And athletically, we're really even further pushed into this obsession. And I think that it becomes that like when I was talking about those layers, like some of those layers as an athlete are tricky because you have the the whole, well, there's this power to weight thing if you're an endurance athlete and there's this all is this other stuff and you have to wear this Lycra that's is right. And yes, you know, how do you can how do you work through those layers? Yeah, that's such an important piece. So I mentioned there was like the self-talk of like, okay, I can, I'm allowed to eat this. I'm going to, this is how I'm going to approach it. I do a lot of self-talk like with myself and with my clients on, okay, what is, what are the messages we're telling ourselves about our bodies and how they look and how, and how they are? Because I think a lot of self-talk is so ingrained. You don't even realize it's in there until you start noticing it. That's a practice in and of itself. First notice, what are you saying to yourself? Um, when you look in the mirror before you move to like, scrutinizing yourself from every angle what was the self-talk that preceded that tune into that was it like i'm gross or i don't like this part of it whatever it was look at that and instead of trying i think we're trying so hard to like not feel the way we feel when we have that self-talk the next step before we even are aware of what we're doing is like making a plan like salad for lunch no desserts whatever it may be you're saying I don't like the way my legs look in this, so I'm going to only eat salad for the next five days. Is that yeah. kind of what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or or I hate the way my legs look. And then the next thing is, and it's because I'm out of control. And it's because I have no self-control. I'm I'm weak. I'm undisciplined. I don't love myself enough to really eat the right foods so that I can have the thighs that I want. I would say, okay, wait, 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 let's back up. What if what if you just didn't like your thighs and then you could move on? You don't have to like your thighs. I think it's a big ask for people to look in the mirror and like everything they see, knowing, a, like you said, we've been funneled into this. Societal messages, no matter what our parents did or didn't do, or our friends or coaches did or didn't do, there's, oh, and I could tell you about some toxic coaches um, that I had with the body image stuff. Oh, my God. But um, but we, we, we're like swimming in all of that. So to, I mean, I give a lot of kudos to anyone who does look in the mirror and is genuinely like, damn, you know, like, and I have glimmers of that. You know, there are times that I'm like, ooh, I'm feeling myself today, but that's not every day. But then, so then the question comes down to, okay, maybe I don't like this part of myself, but it, but can I still move on with my day? Yes, I can. Do I want to focus on that? I get, I cannot like something and I don't have to focus on it. I try really hard to follow up the negative self-talk with something neutral. Like, I don't like my stomach and that's not the most important thing about me. You know, my pants are tight and it's an overalls day. I'm changing pants. But it's not like I'm changing it to 55 different outfits and making a huge mess of my whole wardrobe to find the one thing that's going to make me look skinny. It's like, no, I'm just going to wear overalls so I can feel good. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I saw, self-talk. I saw, and uh, it was an article and I can't remember it. You were quoted in it, but I don't think it was your quote. Somebody describing that sort of, body neutrality, let's call it, you mm-hmm. know, as it's kind of like when you walk by something in your house, that's not quite right, but it doesn't make you hate your house and it doesn't wreck your day. That's you know brilliant. what I mean? And yeah. I was like, that's really, really brilliant. Like, yes, because there's a million things in my house that are just like that. I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, totally. and then just move or, on. Or yeah. even like take it a step farther, maybe another person, like, could you notice another woman's cellulite and then 
still feel like, okay, so she has cellulite. She's still an attractive woman. Or, okay, maybe she's not to you a traditionally attractive woman, but do you still like her? Do you still think she has like a good heart? Do you enjoy being around her? You know, people don't care. You know, you go to a funeral, nobody's talking about what size this person was. They're talking about how this person made them feel. And I do feel like the more I can accept myself in whatever shape, size, or, and I'm not even talking about just body image, also like my whole self, because I really do feel like this stuff transcends just body. Once you really accept your cravings, your hunger, your preferences, all of those things, you're you're essentially tuning into your body as an intuitive eater. Um, your body's giving you cues all day long about everything, not just key, not just food, everything. Do I want to go out with that friend? Do I want to take this assignment as a freelancer? Do I want to actually engage in this argument or do I want to walk away? Like anything. Um, we are getting to know ourselves better. So we're, I kind of got off on a tangent there. But I, I hope, my hope is in part that when I accept myself, all of myself, including all my quote unquote flaws, that like hopefully that gives other people permission to do that too, because no one's perfect. And that's not why you appreciate somebody else. That's not why you love somebody else because they're perfect. It's because they're them. So I try to turn that lens back on myself and go, you know what? I'm just being me over here. As a lifelong runner and cyclist, I am stoked to announce that Tifosi Optics has come on as a podcast sponsor. The beauty of Tifosi sports glasses is that they hit all the marks. They are shatterproof polycarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance and complete eye protection. They stay put. They have little hydrophilic rubber nose pads that actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they stay secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in sauna-like conditions. No matter what sport you do, they have a shade for your activity, including tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, and just hanging out at the beach. And they are super reasonably well-priced, which is very hard to find in a sea of overpriced eyewear. And they just look freaking rad. So head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM, capital F and capital M, like feisty menopause, number 20, FM20, to get 20% off your order today. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Good sleep. The one thing that sets you up for a great workout and a good day is quality sleep. We talk about it all the time here on the show, which is why I'm stoked to have Lagoon Sleep as a new sponsor. Because one of the most overlooked tools in a great sleep toolbox is the thing you literally rest your head on eight hours a night, your pillow. A quality pillow is everything. Otherwise, you end up tossing, turning, punching, and folding your pillow, waking up with neck pain, and all the stuff that happens when your pillow doesn't meet your personal comfort needs. Say hello to the most comfortable sleep you've ever had with Lagoon. They start you out with a two-minute personalized pillow quiz and then pair you with your perfect pillow. I got the Otter, a cooling adjustable pillow that is perfect for side sleepers who run warm at night like I do. It is a dream. It's fully adjustable, so I was able to get the perfect loft and support, and the cooling feature is everything. As someone who turned into a furnace every evening before menopause, I appreciate that the Otter is stuffed, with shredded gel-infused memory foam, which instead of trapping heat from my neck and head, draws it away and dissipates it. It's truly delightful. I'm a good sleeper, and Otter's taken it to the next level with both support and cooling. Put my head down, good night, Irene. My aura ring confirms what little tossing and turning I was doing, 
is gone. The beauty of the pillow quiz is you can get the perfect pillow that you need to and make your sleep the best sleep you can have. Go to lagoonsleep.com slash hit play and take the two minute quiz to find your perfect match and then use the code hit play all caps one word for 15% off your first purchase. Sweet dreams. So I'm hearing that body neutrality and intuitive eating are sort of peas in a pod. I think so. I, I don't think for most people you can become an intuitive eater with also, without also doing some body image work because I think that's what feeds the food stuff is the feeling of I don't I'm not good enough the way I am. I don't look good enough the way I am. And certainly some people are obsessive about food more from like a health and like purity wellness kind of standpoint. There's that too. But I do think a lot of maybe not everybody, a lot of that wellness um, narrative is tied up in thinness because they say health, they say wellness, but they mean thinness. Like thinness in our culture is supposed to be an outward sign of health. And that is not necessarily true, number one. And number two, like even if it were, there is mental health too. And mental health matters. Like um, I've heard so many stories of people who were like, you know, I had stomach aches and I thought it was because of gluten, but it was actually because I was like stressing about what I was eating or I was stressing about the gluten. Good point. Very good point. So what do you say to the woman who who is terrified of of gaining weight? I mean that is and that's real. Like that's yes. that's a huge chunk of people, especially in this I mean eating disorders and this kind of tight control ramps back up during this perimenopausal and menopausal place because when you you talked about it earlier like it's that one thing you can control and I think women are trying or maybe they have always had this tight control and now even though they had this tight grip and it maybe it was working it's not working and they're losing yeah. control so they try to hold on more tightly yes absolutely um oh my god what would i say so many things i mean first of all it's a deep dive into like okay what makes you worthy what do you think really makes you worthy society's telling us our bodies make us worthy but do you believe that do you accept that or do you want to reject it? You're allowed to reject it. You're allowed to do whatever you want. Um, you don't have to, but if you want to, that's an available option and that will make this process a little easier. So that's like one thing. Another thing I would say is, okay, you can keep this tight grip on your body and you can feel your you can feel it slipping away because uh, hormones and metabolism is doing what it does. Um, where is your line of like, what's worth it to you? How much do you want to sacrifice for this? Everyone has the right to do whatever they want with their body. If they want to make their whole life about maintaining a certain size or weight or fitting into certain pants, okay, have at it. But is that what you really want? What are you sacrificing to do this? I would ask that question. And the other thing I would say about the weight gain, I can't guarantee that anybody will or won't lose or gain weight like when they adopt intuitive eating. Like I've had clients come to me and say, I, I want to do this, but I can't gain weight. Or I've had a client come to me and say, I want to do this, but I really do need to gain weight. And I'll say to them, look, I would be going out of my lane of expertise to tell you I can help you with your weight. That's for a dietitian, if anybody. Um, but I'm helping you with the relationship with your body and with food. And um, one thing I know for sure is that when we – it's like a seesaw. The more you restrict, the more you're likely to overdo 
and until like a seesaw, it will come to its natural equilibrium. So if I maybe perhaps if I had had like a clinical eating disorder and I was really, really stringent about all my rules, you know, I was a, a big rule breaker, which made me feel terrible about myself. But if I had been somebody who was good, quote unquote, good at like following my stupid, like low carb, don't eat breakfast rule, whatever the rule was, maybe I wouldn't have stopped at the one grilled cheese and gone, oh, I felt what this feels like. Maybe I would have needed to eat a grilled cheese every day for I don't know, three weeks or something for the novelty wear off. Maybe I would have needed to eat three scones a day for however long, right? Maybe you, but eventually you find equilibrium. Eventually the novelty wears off. Um, there was an interesting study. Do you know about the macaroni and cheese study? Tell me. It was a small study of, I'm not sure how many women, but it was women. And they gave one group macaroni and cheese daily for five days. They gave the other group macaroni and cheese weekly for five weeks. And the daily group, over when the experiment was over, the daily group liked it less and overall ate less of it, which I think tells you something about how the novelty will wear off. You think it won't, but well, you think I can't have the Nutella in the house. I can't have XYZ in the house. You probably can. I won't say you 100% can. I will. I mean, everyone's experience is different, um, but you probably can, but you have to trust that it's okay. And how do you get over that barrier? It's hard. I would say one food at a time. Don't just like buy all the foods that you thought you couldn't have and put them all in your house at once. Just start with one. See how that goes. If it's Oreos, try the Oreos. Um, you know, once things normalize, you won't feel the need to eat a whole sleeve or a whole box. Um, and then you move to the next food. Um, that's kind of where I would start with that. And and yeah, and you might, you might gain weight. You might, but then you have to go, okay, well, like if you're an athlete and you were operating at a weight that was unnaturally low for you, you probably weren't recovering very well. You were probably more prone to injury, to illness, to having blocks of training that you couldn't execute because you were too tired or sick or burnt out or whatever. You might find, I love your story about how you embraced intuitive eating and were surprised to find that you became more powerful. Yeah. Cause I was feeling myself. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was actually that simple. Like I actually had more fuel on board. I was able to ride better and yeah. it's amazing how how that works. Totally. And uh, and I also really, really emphasize to people that it is a two-sided equation and we forget that, you know, like power is also part of that equation and you can increase your power uh, yep. as well. You don't have yes. to always focus on the weight part of that. Yeah. And the, the other part of intuitive eating that I think gets missed, people think, oh, uh, so it's just eating what you want whenever you want. Well, sort of, not completely. Like from an athletic standpoint, I was always afraid of like eating too much sugar on my rides and runs, which is exactly what you need to be doing. Like, so um, since I've become an intuitive eater, like, I mean, I don't know anybody that's like, I am really craving a salted caramel goo right now at, you know, mile 60 of a 100 mile ride. You may not be craving it, but you try different things and you see what fuels you, you see where you feel most energized. So I have done a few you know, by trial and error, different like experiments on myself. And I now know that for anything that's longer than like two, three hours, I do best if I have a gel every 30 minutes, sometimes even starting not at the 30 minute mark, but like at the, at the start, like at zero and then again at 30. And if I am consistently doing that, I have consistent energy the whole time. Whoa, shocker, right? But I, I used to think it was this game of like, how little can I get away with? And now I realize it's more like, how much can I tolerate is what's going to energize me the best. Yes. And that's where science shows too. I mean, that's, that is the science of performance. A hundred percent is like, how much fuel can you put in the tank and use? You know, that's, that makes, that makes perfect sense. 
I think the other piece that I'm that I'd like to get your take on is that where does this intersect with like just basic, you know, a lot of people aren't eating enough fiber. They're not hitting enough protein for recovery. And, you know, there's an educational piece that is is genuinely helpful, you know, and generally good for them. Um, but but not also then getting trapped into counting and tracking, you know, and where does that fit? What does that all come together with an intuitive eating lens? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, there the the fourth edition of well, actually, I guess all the editions, but like intuitive eating, there there's four books. There's the latest is the fourth, but there's um it's based on 10 principles. And the and you can work on them like in tandem. It's not necessarily like a stepwise progression. It's just like it's a book. It has to go in some order, right? But the 10th chapter is called gentle nutrition or the 10th principle. And I do think that's by design, that it's like work out all your mental stuff first, (laughs) then we can bring in nutrition because so many people tie nutrition in with, it's like inextricably linked to obsession. They don't know how to eat a healthy diet without obsessing. Um, So it's like, it's like, what is the meaning behind this food? Like, why are you eating this, say salad? Are you eating the salad because it's what you think you should order? Or are you eating the salad because you haven't had any veggies today and you're like, this will make me feel better? There is a lot of, but yes, we do need to, yes, of course we need to eat fruits, veggies, fiber, protein, but you can change the energy behind it from this is what I should do to this is what I want to do. Because when you start tuning into your body, chances are high, unless you've experienced, you know, trauma and you're not really connected to your body. And that's a whole nother thing. I would say definitely do therapy either with somebody who like a psychotherapist who has an intuitive eating background or seek intuitive eating counseling alongside of therapy and let those two professionals talk to each other. Like mental health, like real mental health issues are, they're real and they need attention. But if you don't have a serious history of trauma, you should start noticing that when you eat a balanced diet, which includes like, you know, all the colors of the rainbow, different textures, a variety, um, you know, not focusing on processed foods, but also not beating yourself up if you just want to eat a bag of Doritos, um, then things will fall into place and you will want to eat healthy foods because it feels good because it's just part. And again, and like to your point before you said, this is coming from a place of privilege. I think that's important to acknowledge. Like I'm just sort of assuming here that people have access to things like fresh vegetables and buying the kale and they have time to prepare foods like salads. Like, yeah, salads definitely take more time than like a Stouffer's. So assuming we have the luxury of time and the money to buy these things. Um, But that's not to say you can't intuitively eat if you don't have that kind of time. Like frozen veggies are great. Some say they're even more fresh than fresh veggies. Um, Same thing with frozen fruit. Um, They're easy. Just like microwave them and put some yogurt on there. Yum. Yeah. Yeah. True. Is there, to your knowledge, um, I thought I saw an interview with you. It might have been a show, but I can't remember where you were alluding to some research or science on intuitive eating and actual health markers. Does yes. That, did I make there, that up? Is that no, true? you didn't make that okay. up. I think I said that on Nine News last year. Um, there, mm-hmm. So there's preliminary research. And I think we don't know because they haven't done like the randomized controlled, mm-hmm. you know, the gold standard of, I think there are more observational studies. So we don't know, I think the direction of like, okay, did intuitive eating cause this or is it, but right. intuitive eating has been associated with um, lower cholesterol, 
better blood sugar regulation, lower markers of inflammation, and importantly, better body image, like better eating behaviors. Um, but at the same time, it's like, okay, well, maybe maybe it goes the other way too. Maybe people have better eating behaviors or more healthy eating behaviors because they aren't dividing foods into like good or bad categories because they have taken the morality out of food. So we don't, you know, I don't want to overblow that research, but I mean, one thing we know for sure is that like diets don't work. And any study that I have seen that shows that a diet works, they usually stop the research around three months or even these um, new class of weight loss drugs like the Wegovy and the Munjaro and the Ozempic, all these they you start you see this steady decline of weight and then you see it start to come back up and then the study is over even if that's like 18 months or two years in and it's like what would happen if we saw these people four years later we don't know these drugs are so new we just we do not know if these are actually sustainable i think we also know that there are some serious health risks have you heard about like the stomach paralysis that has happened to some people a woman just died yeah that too. Um, and I do think that there is, and I want to be clear because I have done a show on that, that there is a 100%, I believe there's a place for those drugs. And the woman who died was using them to lose 20 pounds to get into a dress. And I don't think that's the place for them. I, I am right there with you. I am right there with you. Um, yeah. And I've thought it's funny. Some of my friends will say to me, like, how come you're not talking about um, these drugs in your newsletter? And I'm like, oh, it's such a tough thing to talk about from a place of this, like I have thin privilege, right? So do you like, meaning I don't, even if I'm like, ooh, I don't like my stomach right now, I can get a bus on a bus, a train, a plane, and nobody's afraid that I will sit next to them. I have not walked in a body that is objectively larger. So I don't want to stand here and say, well, you shouldn't do that because you should accept yourself at any size. Like, yes, like you should. That'd be great. But I haven't accepted myself as somebody who people are actively like not hiring for jobs, making yep. judgments about before I've even opened my mouth. Like, I don't know what that's like. So I don't I don't want to speak to that. But we I mean, they were designed for diabetes. Yeah, no. And, th and that's what I mean. They do. They do have and they 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 do have their health benefits. And like mm -hmm. anything else in this space, it's getting uh, abused. <laughs> you know, yes. It's just, yeah. Yes. It's... But, but in terms of health, I think it's really important to remember that like weight can be associated with all different things, but we do not know for sure that the weight is causing health problems. What we know is that even if your weight stays stable, you will be healthier if you adopt healthy habits, such as eating fruits and vegetables and fiber, such as getting your daily dose of activity. So, you know, the weight's not a behavior. The behaviors are the behaviors. You, so you can control the behaviors. You might not be able to control your weight. So back to the question of the menopausal woman who's like, oh my God, I'm losing a grip here. I'm gaining weight and I don't want to be. I would say, okay, well, let's talk about health. What does health mean to you? What is your definition of health? What does a healthy lifestyle look like to you? And how much room do you have in that healthy lifestyle for obsession? And that's something I actually come back to, uh, I, don't, I don't know if every day, but often because this is not like a you know, if we are talking about ourselves as like some kind of math equation, for me, the healing has not been linear. There's good days and there's bad days. And on like worst days, I have to go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe I'm not like a super fan of my body right now, but how did I feel about my body when I was obsessing? Was I that much happier? A, no. B, I was obsessed with what if I ruin this? Um, and C, I wasn't really having fun around food. And food is supposed to be fun. Like you were saying about Thanksgiving, like 
I'm going to go to Thanksgiving and I'm excited to try all the things. And I don't have stress about that. I don't feel like, I mean, if the weather's good, I hope I'll go on a bike ride on Thursday morning. Um, but I might not. Maybe I'll just walk the dog for half an hour. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not obsessed about it. That feels incredible. Like after I let go of this mental weight, it made me realize how heavy it was. I didn't even know. After that, like I switched directions in my business to do exactly what I wanted to be doing, what I had been scared to do before, which was like, oh, I don't know if I could have made that shift without opening up the space in my head to not be obsessed about weight. And I feel like um, I think when it all happened, yeah, I started going to therapy after I made this shift. And I'm just, you know, the therapy stuff was I don't I just feel like I know myself better. I've done a lot of work on myself and I don't even really talk about food or my body in therapy. I I can talk about stuff that's that I really need a therapist for. <laughs> and it's been it's been transformational. So I just want people to know that like even if you don't have an eating disorder, you might have disordered eating and you don't need to. Yeah. That's a lot of people. I mean it's again going back it's hard. Society pushes us really hard. I'm curious where you are in your um, menopausal transition journey, if you don't mind sharing that. I don't mind at all. I'm like, uh, it's so funny. I feel like it's the polar opposite of what I was when I was a kid because I was a late bloomer. Like I did not get my period till I was 15. And like I told you earlier, wow. come full circle every day. I was like, are my boobs growing? Are my boobs growing? <laughs> um, I was waiting for my period to come. And um, so now I'm sort of like every little thing. So I'm 45. I just had my birthday. I don't know if I'm having any perimenopausal symptoms except that um, names that I think I should remember or like names of books, movies, people. Like oftentimes I sit down to write an email and it takes me like four beats to be like, what's that person's name? Like I I know who they are. I know what I want to (laughs) say. What the fuck is their name? And I'm like, is that a symptom of being a freelance writer with a lot of clients and a coach? Like I interact with a lot of people or is that – I don't know. Um, so that, I don't know if that's just age. Um, I have an IUD. I have the hormonal kind, the Mirena. And I have heard that that, you'd be the expert on this. I've heard that that's protective against a lot of this perimenopausal stuff. Is that right? I mean, I it all depends. I'm going to say it all depends because okay. I, I, I've, I've heard other people that, you know, still have a lot of symptoms. But I mean, you are having, like, you have a hormonal... IUD, you know, so it's yeah. it's keeping some level of things, but it it won't stop you from. I mean, you're 45, so you would just it on average just be sort of entering the transition, you know. So okay. I mean that yeah. that little bit of brain fog. Who knows? Well, I mean, my mom started probably. menopause. My mom started the whole thing on the earlier side. Yeah. So if it's genetic, I am kind of I'm just kind of like waiting for it. Um, and it's funny too because like in terms of the body image and stuff, like just listen to your episode with um. The exercise was she an exercise physiologist out of UNC? Um, the young woman, oh, Sam Moore, um, for yeah. the muscles, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was reading about that and how or listening and how she was saying, like, the quality of your muscles decreases a little bit, it gets harder to build muscle. And it's funny because I'm looking myself in the mirror and I'm like, I don't know if that's true. Is that true? Am I getting mushier? And I'm like, Am I getting mushier? Is this just like my body image? I have no idea, but I don't weigh myself. I don't weigh myself. Uh, my clothing still seems to fit. So, so I like look at myself. Like you know, my gym has mirrors everywhere. So I'm lifting weights, and I'm just like, am I mushy? And I'm just like, you know what? I'm not even gonna worry about it. I'm just gonna look. How's my form? I'm here to lift. Thank you. I'm like the last thing I want to do is like feed that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, 
you'll know when you know I, yeah, that, that let yeah. me just say that like but yeah, so, I, for me like anxiety was definitely like I there was very obvious things waking up at 2 a.m every in the middle of the night every night and that yeah. started maybe when I was like 46 47 you know okay. yeah no my thing. sleep is still good yeah. I've always been anxious so that's stable <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Well, if if it gets a little bit, you know, if the needle moves, you might you might know that that's where that's yeah. the, the root cause. Is there anything that we have not talked about in this great wide discussion on both intuitive eating and sort of the body neutrality piece through an athletic lens? Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't discussed? Gosh, no. You know, the one thing I think I like alluded to it, but maybe didn't say it outright was for the athletes listening, which I think is pretty much everybody really think about your body as an N of one. And that in terms of sports nutrition, in terms of like, you may have been told that intermittent fasting is where it's at and that you should go into your morning workout fasted, but have you tried eating a little bit of breakfast before the workout? And if so, how did it go? Did you try it again? Did you try modifying what you ate or the timing of it? Like, try if you can do these things without, like, depending on your history, it's not for everybody to be logging and tracking. It can, like, trigger some disordered behaviors. But if you can, you don't have to write down, like, exactly how much of the thing you ate, if that's triggering, but just noticing how you felt if you ate before your workout and also how you feel when you eat after the workout. It's about you and how you feel and do you feel powerful and do you enjoy the workout more? I don't I think it's pretty universal that the more energy you have, the more fun you're going to have on the workout and most of us are not professionals or even elite. We just why are you doing this? I would just keep coming back to like why? This is like for me, it's like it's social, it's fun, it's getting outdoors, it's a stress reliever. And the more energy I have, just the more I can enjoy all of it. So what gives you energy? Is it micromanaging the food or is it having the carbs? You know, is it having, you know, and not this, oh, I earned the food. It's like, oh, I worked really hard and now I need to replenish. It's like that mindset shift is, or I'm about to work really hard. I need to top off the tank. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate you coming. Do you have any, are you still doing, do you do still like running events and triathletes? I don't do so much running, but I did just sign up for the Steamboat gravel race next in August, 2024. I did it. Steamboat was my first gravel race last year. And it was like one of those magical days, you know, when everything just comes together. Yeah. It was incredible. Okay. So that happened. And I was like, I have to do this again. So I signed up for next year and I don't know beyond that, what I'm going to fill in the blanks as I figure out like my kids swim team schedule yeah. and overnight get on and all that stuff. But that's the one thing I know for sure I'm doing. Excellent. Well, yeah. good luck with that. And uh, I appreciate you. And thanks so much. Thank you for having me. This was lovely. Well, that's our show. Come on back next week when I sit down with the one and only Myrna Valerio a.k.a. The Mernovator, who is a professional runner, adventurer, and author who devotes her life to promoting diversity in the outdoor space and uplifting others to live large. Now, she's also in perimenopause, so she's promoting awareness of that as well. Come on back for that one. And until then, as always, stay feisty.
You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends, and please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.